Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Latest Disgrace from 1995's Red Medicine is Dustin Courier, a musician and music teacher. How's it going, Dustin? Uh, it's great. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on the show. Yeah, nice to talk to you. I said just before we started recording, you emailed me and we were, we were talking and uh, I saw that you're an elementary music teacher and like that sounds so interesting to me. Can you tell me about that? Like, how'd you get into that and, and what does your day look like? Yeah, it's definitely quite different these days for sure. But um, yeah, so um, for a number of years, you know, I'd just been, um, you know, a musician playing in bands, you know, doing that whole thing and um, to pay rent, just kind of working a warehouse and then customer service job eventually reached a point where I was like, you know what, it would be really nice to have something that feels like um, a career that I would be hopefully excited about, like that I could be stoked to go to work. Um, to not just kind of talk to angry customers about their t-shirts or whatever. And um, so, you know, I'm like, all right, well, music is great. Uh, What can I do where I'm, you know, kind of doing music? And, um, you know, the the idea of becoming a music teacher kind of came up pretty quickly. And, you know, the notion of getting to share that, bestow, you know, any sort of like passion for it or wisdom on, uh, you know, people who maybe haven't had that, uh, you know, flame ignited sounded really appealing to me. And so, yeah, just kind of went through um, a music ed program as quickly as I could and started teaching. I'm in my fourth year now. So, um, you know, I'm still fairly new at it. Right on. Well, thank you for your service, first of all. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And and you teach elementary age kids of like all, all grade levels? Yeah, um, I, I do pre-K through eighth grade, and it's just like general music, um, you know, so kind of depending on the grade level, you know, it varies from, you know, uh, playing, you know, hand drums and uh, xylophones or glockenspiels or whatever to, um, you know, music appreciation using like digital audio recording software and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of anything that, you know, <laughs> that I can think of, I, I get to basically do whatever I want, which is pretty great. That's but, awesome. Uh, but yeah, so during the, the pandemic, it's been quite a bit different and I'm currently still teaching remotely from home. Um, you know, so it's all through, uh, Google meets and, um, yeah, so that's been pretty interesting. Um, you know, kind of like completely re figuring out the job, uh, on the fly, but, uh, but yeah, there's still a lot of cool, you know, digital resources and stuff like that. And I actually, I, one of my favorite things to do is um, usually towards the end of a quarter, I, I only see kids for one quarter at a time. I'll kind of try to reserve some time for just some kind of like wind down. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give the kids just like very open-ended like Q&A sessions and stuff like that, um, which they like to do. Just like literally ask me anything. And whenever they ask me about my favorite music, I'll try and show them like a Fugazi video. <laughs> <laughs> how did, how is that received by them? Um, usually with much confusion and like, <laughs> what is this? I like, I remember I, um, last time I, I got some comments in the chat box and one of them was just like, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and the other was like, I'm confused. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, it's a real question that I've, always pondered is like if if i'm trying to introduce fugazi to somebody what song do i pick and i've never considered that from the standpoint of trying to introduce fugazi to an elementary school kid yeah yeah maybe i'm choosing the wrong stuff yeah like what what have you tried to give them uh the last time when i got those responses it was the um that video that you know is featured in the instrument documentary and stuff like that um of turnover um, live, um, what is that like at the Capitol building or at the Washington monument? It's, oh, you know, one of the, yeah. like the cold outdoor performance. I forget exactly where it's from. Yeah. I think that's, I but, think uh, that's right. One of those, one of those shows. Yeah. Hmm. And so that, that got some confusion, <laughs> but I think they were sort of shocked because, um, you know, just to be like, oh my gosh, like Mr. Courier listens to this, like 
loud music. <laughs> I have no idea what they think of me otherwise. Are they? Is that the only chance you get to sneak uh, punk rock into the curriculum? Um, I definitely sneak it in in little ways. Um, you know, one of the things that we'll do is kind of um, I, I I try to uh, just show them without really much. Um, well, or I guess I should say not without judgment, but with like equal, um, um, just appreciation for as many kinds of, you know, genres as I can, uh, just so that, you know, they're kind of aware of, of what's going on. Um, and you know, so I'll definitely include, you know, some punk stuff in there and usually I'll try to go for something pretty, um, like stock like ramones or something like that i was just gonna say i bet kids would really dig some certain ramones songs it's uh definitely sort of fun fun little bops uh no pun intended blitzkrieg bops yeah exactly (laughs) it's probably why that word sprang right to my mind (laughs) um well that's that's really cool uh I think my main memory of music education in elementary school was like recorder hell. Uh, I don't know if you purpose if you yeah. avoid that or you go for, in for that, but <laughs> I remember I've not done being it. Crazy and about it. it is hell. <laughs> no, I um yeah. I was actually able to score a set of uh, a classroom set of ukuleles a couple of years ago. Nice. And so I've tried as much as possible to kind of just sub those in, um, you know. But as much as the recorder can just be completely painful for everyone um there's a little bit of you know just general like musical utility to it and just like how easy it is to be able to just get your hands on um you know an accessible instrument and you know make some tunes on it yeah totally so there's some value but doing it in the classroom with like 30 recorders blaring at once is (laughs) an experience uh Another one of Guy's lyrics uh, springs to mind where he sings, I hate the sound of guitars. Uh, (laughs) It's like, yeah, you can get to that point for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. I mean, let's dial it back a little and talk about Fugazi, though. How did you get into our favorite bands? Uh, Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like... um as a guest, I feel like I'm in kind of like an odd, um, you know, middle place between, you know, the the people who were there, um, you know, and have been to Fugazi shows and were like a part of, um, you know, the band's history as it was being made. And like some of the younger guests you've had who just like completely, you know, are coming to it, um, you know, pretty fresh as out of 18 and 20 year olds. So I'm uh, 32 and I first... I think the first uh, time that I really heard them, I, or at least when I first picked up a Fugazi CD, it had to have been like probably 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so right around or not long before they broke up is when I started getting into them. Um, and, you know, basically it was just kind of like I, w- I had been into, I had a cool older brother growing up, you know, like six years older than me, he was into skateboarding and BMX and stuff. So he was just pretty close to, you know, the like punk and whatever other kind of subcultures are attached to that. And I just thought he was the coolest and, you know, would kind of, um, just absorb all the records that he would bring home and stuff like that. And then, and I really kind of ran with it, um, in a way that, you know, he didn't even quite. And so, you know, I, I got like real into ska and like that, like third wave ska and, um, you know, and all that stuff. And just like really deep into like fat records, epitaph, like that kind of like that era of warp tour music, right. Um, all those comp CDs and stuff like that. And, um, And kind of like somewhere along the way, as I'm just kind of like soaking up various, um, you know, interviews with people in these bands and everything, you know, I would just like pick up them referencing this mysterious to me band called Fugazi. And, um, you know, their shirts weren't available in Hot Topic. They weren't (laughs) playing Warp Tour. And so I was like, what is this band? You know, Um, you know, but people would speak of them so deferentially and, um, you know, so that was, it was just kind of on my radar. And then I remember picking up a, um, some guitar magazine. I don't remember which one, but I had pretty recently started playing guitar. Um, yeah, I was in like eighth grade or something like that and read, uh, an interview with Ian Mackay. And, um, I just loved the things that he was saying about how, um, you know, he would 
not use any effects pedals. Um, you know, he just had this SG and his Marshall half stack and was like perfectly content um, and like thrilled to explore what just that can do. Didn't feel the need for all of these like, you know, extra things. And I myself was like very mystified by pedals and stuff like that. And I was like, well, that's awesome. It can be an asset to not be into that stuff. And, um, you know, I got to hear more. Um, and so that I think is what prompted me to go pick out, um, you know, just the first CD whose cover appealed to me the most knowing nothing about them. And it was, uh, in on the kill taker. Right. Um, and so, I mean, to this day, that one remains my favorite. I'm sure that, um, it being my first has something to do with that. Although, you know, it really just does, um, you know, appeal to me in a lot of different ways. Um, so then, yeah, you know, over the years, um, you know, I would kind of like slowly build up, uh, the discography. Although I remember the next one I picked up was steady diet and, um, I was not into that. I did not get it. Um, and it just didn't appeal to me. Um, so I, it was probably a while before I started grabbing the others and I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I started getting into the rest of them. And then years later, you know, I came around a steady diet and realizing just like how great the songs are. Right. But, um, but yeah, the, the instrument, um, I saw it on DVD, uh, the first time, um, back when we were, uh, ordering DVDs to be delivered from Netflix when we were renting DVDs that way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that is when like they became my favorite band, I think. Um, you know, just like really seeing, cause I had never, you know, encountered any sort of like live performance or, you know, recording or anything like that until seeing that and, you know, just realizing the unparalleled chemistry that those four guys have, um, you know, as musicians, as performers and, you know, just creative people. And that just kind of instantly became something for me to sort of, uh, seek out in my own creative pursuits. It's kind of a weird paradigm shift, isn't it? Like for, I mean, growing up, I would always think about, I don't know, say Jimi Hendrix, like people, people my age would be into Jimi Hendrix and think he was really cool. And, uh, but of course nobody had seen Jimi Hendrix, like that was ancient history. And occasionally you'd hear from like some old timer who was, who was at one of his concerts and you'd be like, whoa, you were there. You saw Jimi Hendrix. And on the flip side, when it came to Fugazi, like all people I knew who liked Fugazi, you know, we had all seen their shows. We'd been to see them live. And like, uh, it's, it was a very sort of casual thing that way, as good as their shows were. And, and now I'm, uh, hearing from like people in the last 20 odd years who sort of got into them without having that opportunity to see them. It's, it's weird to think about that little, that flip that I've experienced in my lifetime. Yeah, that's awesome. Your experience as a musician, by the way, did you start with guitar and then branch out to sort of being more of a multi-instrumentalist and learning all about uh, uh, more, you know, formal um, music from a, from a more formal uh, background? Uh, yeah, basically. Um, my first instrument in like fifth grade was a trumpet, but I didn't stick with that for that long. I think I stuck with it until I got a guitar. Um, but guitar is really like when I got into playing and, you know, started like making my friends pick up instruments so we could have a band together and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I like kind of took guitar lessons on and off, um, with a handful of different teachers over the years, fairly casually, never really was into like soaking up any of the like theory or scales or, you know, any of that stuff. I kind of just wanted to learn how to play different types of riffs and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, then I guess, um, right around the time I was graduating high school, um, or maybe just after that, I, um, got an opportunity to join this band that, um, I had previously like just completely idolized. They, they had been my favorite band up to that point. They were just like this, like local band that was, you know, incredible to all of us. And they uh, were a three piece and wanted a fourth member who could do guitar, but also like keyboards and stuff like that. So I like then started learning how to play, you know, rudimentary piano and stuff. So I could join that band. Um, and that I think is kind of what like ignited a desire to do other instruments and everything, um, you know, which probably, you know, I think made me somewhat apt to like get into, um, you know, pursuing the music ed degree and stuff like that. But yeah, now, um, 
you know, I do some variation of a kind of like, you know, solo stuff where like I, you know, play most of the instruments and, um, you know, try to kind of like inhabit those personalities. And, you know, and I think when I do, you know, there's like certain musicians that kind of flare up in the back of your head and the people in Fugazi are often among those voices. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they are a deep rooted source of musical inspiration, really. And uh, today's song is "Latest Disgrace" from Red Medicine. And by way of introduction, the only thing I really have to discuss is, uh, like, up front, is as a live song, its relative rarity. So um, I found this online. It was it's like a collection of uh, just some some quotes and uh, in particular this was Guy's response to a piece of fan mail that somebody put online asking about some of the more rarely played songs and Guy said this is a song we know how to play and often practice but for some reason we never have had it fit in with the shows that well it's a bit of a mystery can't say we'll never play it again but it would probably be a rare thing Uh, end quote there and I'm not sure when that was from, but indeed my stats have it as only being played 39 times in the years 1994, 1995, and the only song from Red Medicine they played less was Version. Final note on that, the last time it was ever played was Rapid City, South Dakota in 1995 at the, I like this, this oddball venue at the Surbeck City School of Mines and Technology. Wow. So, yeah, kind of a rarity. Anybody out there who saw them play this one, congratulations, because uh, it's a cool song, and uh, for some reason, they didn't play it that much. So, Dustin, what do you think is the first thing we should tackle when it comes to this song? I definitely think that, uh, just like the the music overall, I think that there's some really interesting stuff in there, um, and I'm definitely interested in going into that if you are. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting sonic textures, aren't there? Absolutely, right off the gate. Right out of the gate. There's it starts out with like this ticking and and a pretty awful squeaking sound, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's hard to pleasant. tell if it's like Yeah, it sounds almost like uh like a squeaky wheel on like a rolling chair or I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what that is. But, yeah. Um, you'd have to imagine it's something that like serendipitously they found in the studio that was making noise and decided, "Hey, let's mic this thing." Like it doesn't seem like something they had planned out in the practice space and then brought into the studio, right? That would be my guess. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like so some kind know, of chair that somebody was sitting in is pretty good guess, I think. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That was just the first thing that came to my mind. And I think I was picturing something similarly to you where, you know, it was just like something that was in the studio that they could easily throw a mic on. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you know, um, so, you know, right from the beginning, there's, um, you know, you were describing as a ticking. um, And I I did look up some, try to find, uh, I was only able to find one or maybe two uh, live videos of this song on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, I and, looked at one myself. Um, yeah, so it looks like Ian, you know, is playing, um, you know, he's just like kind of palm muting. Um, best I could figure out, it's like the, all the way, like the top fret, at least on my guitar, it's like the 21st fret on the B string seemed to kind of produce that note that he's ticking away on. Oh, yeah, I, um, I didn't actually try to find the note myself, but yes, uh, something muted and high up for sure. Yeah, it was like he was... Um, uh, there's not like actually um you know a real like harmonic there but he's just you know setting his finger down not pressing down yeah. is like what it sounded like to me um you know but but yeah so super interesting texture um you know and and then um you know i think i think the guitar and i think Gee and uh and joe come in together um yes. you know w- with just like one little drum hit in there but um you know what struck me i you know i was trying to kind of like figure out um you know that riff a little bit and i definitely i'm curious uh whether that would have been like who brought that into you know the practice or whatever uh, where that song was written cuz i don't know it wh- i'm curious what you think it well, sounds to me like it could be a joe thing but i don't know did you notice in that video you saw the way that gee was playing guitar Yes, and I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like 
for for this line that he's playing in the verse with Joe, for most of it, he's playing like as if his guitar is a bass finger style, right? Yeah, and like then, he's holding his pick, but then yeah. like with his middle finger, I think. And then is, when it's time you know, for the chord, da, 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 he uses the pick for that. Yeah, I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, I, me too. I, I had never seen him or probably really anyone else do quite that thing. Um, and it doesn't sound to me like that's what's happening on the record. It sounds pretty clearly to me like a pick is being used, but there's like a bunch of cool kind of like, um, I don't know, like EQing or whatever on it. So it sounds sort of, you know, small and lo-fi or whatever. Yeah, I agree. It, and it has it has that sort of um, overdrive, but a sort of like notched frequency that makes it a little vocal sounding maybe that's not mm. the best word but it's not like a full range sound it's it's sort of this yeah i don't know it's it's got a real it's got a real certain eq to it um but yeah i i agree it it sounds to me yeah. like he's not using his fingers on the record i don't know though but yeah it's a really cool guitar tone and i think it you know it blends together in a really cool way with um you know just like that ticking kind of palm eating thing that ian is doing i mean that record is just such an incredible um you know sort of sonic experiment um in terms of the recording um you know and i think that this is just an awesome example of you know the the interplay there working really well on the record yeah totally agree it's uh, it's it's a fascinating listen it's not as as a record it's not mixed or produced or whatever with the same care as end hits and the argument. It's not as much like a, of a headphone rock thing, but um, yeah, sometimes I wish it had been produced that way because there's such fascinating stuff happening and, um, it, and it's great as it is, but it's something you could really like delve into with more of like an immersive kind of mix. That's interesting that you hear it though, because I hear it very much as like a headphone record and just yeah. like full of ear candy. And, um, you know, I know, I mean, I know they've described it as like when they really started being able to like feel comfortable using the studio, you know, as more of an asset than just, you know, sort of creating a document. Yeah, I guess I'm mainly thinking about like, it's just seems like end hits in the argument have a much bigger like stereo field to me i can see that yeah. yeah i mean it only got better and more refined um you know from that point but um yeah for sure um but yeah and and also like sort of similar to there's guitar and bass are doubling each other and it seems like we have pretty doubled vocals pretty much throughout the whole thing here and, and i believe they're both gee um, yeah i was hearing it that way yeah and and an interesting sound on the vocals too it's kind of a lo-fi distorted vocal like a megaphone or cheap radio kind of effect happening yeah yeah there does seem to be you know some kind of weird gain on it or whatever um yeah a little bit like i mean the whole thing is just sort of like grimy there's like this grimy sort of like you know you feel like you're in some sort of like Base, like a gross basement or something (laughs) um it, it just has that aesthetic to it well, and I have some thoughts about why, but um, let's. I wanted to hear what you were going to say about the recording or the vocal sound. Oh no, I was. I mean, I want to hear what you think about why. I was just going to say um, something that's so interesting about this to me is that it's a song that if I put on Red Medicine, you know, the first two complete bangers go by. This song comes up, and as long as I've listened to this record, I've had this immediate impulse to skip the song and that's not to say I do or at least that I always do but I definitely have in the past listened to the album and and heard the beginning of the song and been like ah this yeah this is kind of a drag I'm gonna just sort of like skip ahead to the next one because it's almost like every time I forget how good it gets like it turns into such a different song by the end and I really love it and it's somehow <laughs> I forget, partly maybe due to the just weird unpleasantness happening in the very beginning, because it's not only the that squeaking sound and, and weirdness, but it's like, yeah, as you say, it's grimy and there's something even a- apart from the uh, the sound quality. There's something to that guitar slash bass line that is really, I don't know, man, it's it's just, um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's so dark in a in an almost unpleasant way. 
Well, yeah, and and what I what initially started um, sticking out to me when I was like sitting down trying to kind of like just you know figure out the riff and get into it is there's a lot of chromaticism, meaning like they're not playing in like a major or minor scale, but right. they're playing like every note in a row. So like if you're talking about the guitar fretboard, it's like eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, like all those notes are being played. Um, and so it doesn't have like a real like tonal center and that's really unsettling. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's especially represented in the beginning. Um, but I started chasing that thought even further as I was like trying to figure out parts in the rest of the song. And then, so I actually, I like, I wrote down like each note name of like every available note in our Western scale, you know, like C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E, et cetera. Yeah, we, we got and 12 of those, I believe, right? Exactly. Yeah. So all 12 notes. And then um, every time I would play one, I would, you know, cross it off. Turns out every single note is played in this song. So if you're into like weird, modern, uh, 12 tone classical music, this song is for you. And if you're not, it's probably going to be pretty unsettling and weird and grimy. And I think it explains, I think, why, um, you know, it might be skippable to some people or just like unsettling to the point of feeling unsatisfying or something like that, especially in the beginning. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I, I love that you've brought that analysis to the table. Thank you for that. Hey, when you have... Uh, a level of you know nerd fandom mixed with like some cursory music theory why not just dive into it <laughs> look you have a musical education degree you should be educating our listeners on this podcast i think it's your duty <laughs> i do what i can yeah i'm here to serve i think as a sort of general trend the the song gets catchier as it goes on like it to absolutely the, up up all the way to the very end where it's probably the catchiest uh, that it's been, which is an interesting way to construct a song. It's like you're not trying to lure in the listeners. You're you're sort of repelling them at first, and then once yeah. they stick around with you for a little while, it's like, okay, here's some nice chunky rock riffs for you. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, starting with that chorus, you know, I, I, like the whole the verse parts are just like it's hard to like attach to anything. There's no tonal center, and then it feels like they kind of like pick some sort of key, you know, for the take your medicine, you know, that part. And you know, right after that's that, like, that feels like a thing. Yes. And then right after that, Guy's little guitar line that he plays, which to me sounds very Johnny Marr like. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It, maybe it's just that Johnny Marr is like pretty much my favorite guitarist. So <laughs> I, I may, uh, that may leap to mind more than is actually like applicable, but it just strikes me that way. It's, it's this very sort of catchy little slidey thing that he's doing there. And it's, it's all of a sudden it's something pleasant to the ear in this song. Well, and the other thing that's cool there is like right when they kick into the chorus, um, that, uh, it's like the first time that they're all like just fully playing together. Like it's just unison, that's you true. know? And so there's like all this like chaos stuff. Um, and I think that's one of the great strengths of this song. Like they really, um, you know, I think it seems deliberately and strategically are, you know, there's parts where it feels like everyone's doing these sort of disparate things, um, you know, and they're kind of off in their own universe, but then they're like, oh no, just so you know, we know what we're doing and we're all going to come together <laughs> here. And, um, you know, it's like, it was a deliberate uh, kind of, you know, mess for a moment there, but like, here we are, you know, and they all kind of like show up together for, you know, these like various parts, you know, starting with that chorus thing. And then later with that kind of like, I think of it as like a first ending and then there's a second ending. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. To continue on with the interesting guitar texture, like at, right at the end of that chorus, like after the line, uh, you got too much to lose. It sounds like a truck backing up. Like there's this beep, 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 beep. <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah. It's like exactly the sound of a garbage truck backing <laughs> up on your street. It absolutely is. I don't know if it's like, just kind of like feedback with like the kill switch or something. That is my assumption. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> but I, I think does. it's something about just the the tempo of it is like yeah. Um, you've you've heard Ian do that before, but I think it's often sort of faster, and he's just sort of like doing it slow. Beep yeah. beep beep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The tempo is perfect with the the truck in reverse. 
like the vocal delivery in this song too yields some interesting choices. Like I think I'm mainly thinking here of the <laughs> the short you say. Um, yeah. Line. <laughs> the like, the second time say. when he does it falsetto. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, that part rules. I love that. Yeah, he has a lot of really cool moments in this song. Yeah, like how about the uh, sort of at the very ends the the yeah, the big shouted like won't get fooled again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, and I think that that's like this perfect example of this thing that he often does and definitely does a handful of this uh of of that in this song is like these like kind of like cliche like rockisms, but he does them in this way where it like somehow subverts it or something and makes it not cheesy or cliche at all and just like you know, because it feels deliberate and, you know, just like spirited and spontaneous. Um, I just, I love that, that yeah. he can pull that stuff off in a way that no one else could. Yeah. Like we've mentioned this before, like when he says the word baby in Dear Justice Letter, when he says, yeah. um, and even like, um, come on. Yeah. Right. In and the chorus like, of this song, man, check it out in Foreman's Dog. <laughs> He does, yeah. he does these things occasionally. It's like exactly what you say. They're sort of cliches that he's uh, making his own. And it sounds like from coming from him, it sounds very clever and fun and new. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then uh, speaking of cool uh, vocal moments, that like whisper scream thing that he does going into the second verse, um, I'm, I would not try to imitate that. But <laughs> well, it's like this kind of like, it sounds like... Um, uh, if you were to kind of like, you know, like, uh, you're like breathing inward and like, uh, like that kind of a, I feel weird doing that, but that kind of a thing, it's like, it's almost like that. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just like this really strange kind of just like textural thing that it's not super upfront, but it's like pretty fairly present. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's just like such absolute freedom in everything that he does like he's free to do whatever the hell he wants um and it nearly always works as far as the two endings yeah like there's this huge riff before the the like shootout lyrics um whatever those are i guess we'll get to that um, yeah yeah i guess i didn't analyze that is is that in a minor key and then the other quote unquote ending is in a major key well, it's so it's like a B, a C, and then the high one is an E. Um, so yeah, it could definitely be um, like in E minor or something like that. But it definitely does um, take on like a a darker feel. And yeah. so yeah, I mean, it immediately calls out kind of like a minor sensibility. Um, and yeah, and then I I agree that the end does feel um, like it's a little bit more. It's playful to me. Yes. Yeah. Like rhythmically and, you know, and, and they're not playing like chunky, you know, chords there. It's all kind of like, you know, higher, like mid register on the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Ian only plays like the and then he steps out and then kind of thing. Um, you know, and so there's like that cool kind of, it's not really call and response, but, um, you know, just back and forth interplay there, which is cool which is the opposite of what they're doing in that first ending where they come together on like actual power chords, which is like the first time in the song. Right. Which I, I love how, you know, they can do that, like utilize the power chord and make like a really strong move out of it when so many other people, you know, use it in a very sort of like stock way. Um, you know, it just comes off like really powerful there. Yeah, absolutely. That's like, yeah, some people start and beginning, middle, and end is all power chords. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's, I guess that robs the power chord of its power. Uh, and if you just use it sparingly, it's like, whoa, bam, punch in the face. It hits so big when they do it. Yeah, and speaking of hitting big, like, yeah, that that thing at the second ending where it's more of a major feel, uh, they start it, of course, um, with uh, Joe sort of taking a breather, not playing at all. And then, uh, uh, you know, for for a couple of bars. And then Ian plays this great, like, sort of chromatic ascending little lead lick. And then yeah. and then the bass comes in for this one last very rocking section of, of basically the same uh, uh, chord progression. 
which is so great. Yeah, well, and, and I love that because I think, and we haven't really talked about bass yet, so I think this is kind of a good uh, way to, you know, kind of get into that because I think what Joe does there at the end is his part kind of is calling back to some of the earlier parts in the song. And so I feel like by doing that, he's tying that ending where, you know, um, Ian and Guy are kind of doing some new things, you know, exploring this like new ending idea. Joe's like tying it to the whole song by playing, you know, I I think he's just kind of like riding on an A and then like boom, dum, boom, dum, which is like the end of each chorus part, Hmm. you know? So it kind of even, you know, subtly or subconsciously, I think kind of calls back to that. But yeah, I also love how much he sits out in this song. I like, not because I don't love hearing him play, you know, but the, it makes his parts, you know, it just, he adds so much dynamic to this song by by sitting out and then coming in at the right moments and stuff. And I think it's a, a great strength of the song. It's really an exemplar of how to structure an interesting song, certainly. It's not going to be uh, a... a teachable uh example of how to write a song that appeals to everybody but as far as doing something really cool yeah this is a good one to look at well yeah that sometimes the most interesting thing to do is actually not to play yes yeah that's and he it's it's difficult to (laughs) put your ego aside and realize that sometimes especially if you're just sort of starting out um i remember it just I feel like it took me a while to understand when to play, when not to play, and how to mix my particular instrument so it's, you know, it's got its own place in the mix and it's not trying to just be heard and uh, trying instead to support things better. Yeah, absolutely. That's an art. Uh, should we flip over to the lyrics, which may be maybe a little more difficult to talk about? Yeah, well, okay, the one musical thing that we haven't touched on, and um, I feel like maybe we should apologize to Brendan The here. drums, yes, of course. Um, is, <laughs> so, the like, I feel like he really just kind of holds it down. You know, there's not really anything too crazy. I think that there's some, like, really strong fills, some, like, really great, like, he always does great hi-hat work and stuff like that. Um, but the one thing that I found most interesting is that, um, to my ear, uh, I don't think he touches the snare at all until the chorus, till like ah. right before the chorus kicks in. And so I think that's another thing, you know, that kind of just like really separates those parts and stuff. And so that was, uh, yeah, that, I think that was the only other major like uh, musical observation that I had. And I would be remiss to leave Brendan out. Yeah, that's great. It's, um, yeah, it's true. I think it didn't really occur to me to say anything about the drums because yeah, as you say, Nothing really stood out to me. I think it's a very supportive part that he's playing in this song. Um, yeah, and I, I didn't listen carefully for that snare thing, but instinctually it sounds totally right to me. Like that that whole verse thing is very, I don't know, has that real tom and bass uh, feel. But yeah, let's. Uh, I'm down to get into the lyrics too. You know, we're we're in the middle of a of a real gee streak on this show. Um, we're uh, delving into a lot of his interesting poetry this is to me an example of one of those songs that is very hard to pin down a specific meaning um there there are hints there are images there's a feel like i think more than anything there's that you can say for sure is that there's some kind of oppositional feel here it's hard to say who i is it's hard to say who you is in this song but yeah there's there's this opposition that comes through strongly and i think that's that's the only real solid thing i can say yeah i i think one of the things that is like especially kind of cool about this song and and about that quality is that like it makes it really easy to um to attach something to it you know it like once you get a notion in your head about what it could be about um, you know, there's something so kind of like impressionistic about it that it's really easy to attach, you know, whatever, um, you know, your mind kind of wants to make of it to, to those lyrics. Um, but, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. The oppositional thing. I mean, it seems to me, um, while I am also struggling with who I and you would be referring to that there's like some sort of paternalistic authority figure and to me, all of the, um, you know, kind of key words uh, in there that I think seem to 
kind of be a little bit of a centerpiece to the record or at least you know an obvious um you know reference to where the title might come from yeah um is that like my mind wanted to assign um, something in relation to the healthcare system, um, whether that was like, you know, mental health care or like big pharma. Um, it does seem to, I, I'm not exactly sure the timeline of um, uh, Oxycontin coming onto the market, um, mm. but it could have been it like one thing that I saw was it was like either 95 or 96, but it, my guess would be that um, this would sort of predate that. However, in um, I, I did download one of the um, early uh, performances of this from the Fugazi live series and it was from 94 and you know, they were clearly kind of like trying out a bunch of this new material and um, there was a very like unfinished version of this song lyrically. Um, it didn't have "So come on, take your medicine." It didn't say "Hey doctor, heal, heal yourself." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it said something like "What the fuck you got to lose?" Um, you know, in that section. You know, a lot was kind of like different, but there were some things that were there. And so I almost wonder if you know there were these things that were kind of like waiting to be filled in by the like you know what would end up being the official. Uh, lyrics or take um you know and whatever was kind of going on in that like pharmaceutical industry whether it was oxycontin or not um you know i think that um sort of like predatory um prescription kind of um dynamic you know with uh the pharmacal uh, pharmaceutical companies themselves and you know doctors um, you know, prescribing, over-prescribing and, and things like that. That is something that I had a hard time um, letting go of once my mind wanted to attach it to that. That's a great point you make. And, like, I'm susceptible to that too. Like, if I get a certain idea about something, I mean, I am I think I'm pretty good at extending an analogy, like, past the point <laughs> yeah. of, of appropriateness. Like, so I'm like, okay, and according to that reading, this line would mean this. Um, so, And of course, that's one of the fun parts of this podcast to me is like, you know, I'm not claiming to have any authoritative read on any of these songs, but yeah, it's fun to do that sort of thing. I like my immediate reaction though, is like, I, I never really felt, I like, I felt that if this were actually about doctors and medicine, it would be a little on the nose. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is though. It's hard to say the, I, I think like the one, um, a hint that stuck out to me is the line to get your motion through, um, mm-hmm. which really says politics to me. And of course we shouldn't fall into the trap of assuming all Fugazi songs are about politics. Like that's a common thing that people yeah. do and they're often wrong about it. Um, but yeah, at, like, as you say, it's one of those things that, well, once that gets into my head, I'm sort of reading uh, the song through that lens and it does line up to me like if the you is the establishment government whatever and i am a message uh prescient forecasting that there is a limit to the status quo right so you know so take my temperature or economic growth or yeah, yeah. and take my temperature is like like hey you know get a load of the uh, the the climate uh, of the of the citizens of this country and realize that it is uh, going in a different direction. Um, so I started to just think of the song in those terms. And uh, and of course, I mean, I think we could say that those two readings could definitely dovetail because, um, you know, pharmaceutical lobbying is politics. Um, so it could be both, could be either, could be neither. Yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't like a specific target for this. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I think when there is one, you know, he, as well as Ian are pretty, um, you know, seem to feel free to just like call out that target. And, uh, of course what you say about the quote unquote official lyrics, I looked at the lyric sheet in the liner notes for this and they, it seems mostly correct except for at the very end, right? It says in the liner notes, shout out and shoot out the windows, but there's no way he's saying windows absolutely not <laughs> it no, sounds like you say it shadows. shadows yeah it sounds like shadows right yeah so yeah it seems like maybe one of those situations where 
yeah, it, it didn't line up the the lyrics he wrote down and the ones he actually ended up singing on the record. Um, so who knows which was which came first. And the live versions that I saw, like even the early one, as well as like some of the ones, you know, from like mid to late 95, it was also very clear that he was saying Shadows. Because yeah. I was like pretty sure based on, you know, the version on the record. Um, but uh, that definitely confirmed it. And then um, there's the very end, yeah. which is just not, there's nothing there. I'm it's very not, curious to hear if you have a take on what he's singing. Okay, I, I wrote down what the lines sound like to me phonetically, but they are nonsense. Okay. Um, it sounds to me like there are three lines, right? Yep. Um, let's learn our discourse, mm. lay down one more tray, cut the glacial. That's okay. what it sounds yeah. like to me. And we have very close readings or uh, similar readings. Mine says, let's love long distance. Ooh, that's a much more poetic one than I did. So uh, I like that. (laughs) And that's the one I feel most confident about. The others, less so. Um, I heard let down our laundry or let down worn laundry. (laughs) That's a little comical. Well, it's weird. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to make sense. But then the one the old uh live version from you know before the record it sounds very clear to me that he says the word laundry in there uh so i don't know it i can't make sense of it but yeah and then the last thing i couldn't decide it sounded like a word like calculation confirmation constellation but not actually any of those um yeah it could be a made-up word i'm really not sure but you said cut the glacial yeah (laughs) that is like very similar to like the sounds that i'm hearing so yeah i i don't know yeah i was thinking the same thing as you but it doesn't sound like it ends with the letter n it sounds like it ends with the letter l to me so i don't know Uh, okay yeah who knows i i and i tried looking around poking around the internet as much as i could for that and no one seemed to even correct the windows shadows thing so all right well that that tears it. We're going to have to get Guy on this show at some point. Yeah. Answer for some of these lyrics. Even if he doesn't tell me us what it means. I just want to know what he says, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, s- some of the lyrics we do know, um, to go back to those. Do you know um, the origins of the uh, Physician Heal Thyself? Do you know that's super old? I have no idea what it actually is referring to, but I've heard those words. Well, the first citation is, I mean, it's older than Jesus because Jesus quotes it in the bible as if it is like a a, a saying that everybody knows so bc uh, yeah luke 423 uh basically jesus is addressing a synagogue in his hometown of nazareth and the quote is jesus said to them surely you will quote this proverb to me physician heal yourself and you will tell me do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in capernaum Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Um, And then Jesus goes on to talk about how the uh, prophets Elijah and Elisha, like hundreds of years earlier, healed people in foreign lands while there were famines and leprosy at home in Israel. So, uh, yeah, basically it's uh, taken to mean like, yeah, he's he's saying to the congregation, yeah, I'm sure you'll say, hey, perform some miracles and, and, you know, work miracles, heal people in your hometown. Um, and that's what physician heal yourself means in that context. Um, pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. have no idea if it has any bearing on the song. Oddly that now that you have, um, kind of mentioned your reading of the overall dynamic kind of having, you know, maybe more of a broad sort of like political, uh, leaning that seems to, uh, strongly fit in with that in terms of kind of like the um um healing those in your hometown or you know those at home uh you know first it kind of does because if i'm if i'm talking about like a revolutionary attitude almost like what happens after that is i i read on a little bit and basically the people get super pissed at him and sort of take him up to like a a cliff to throw him off it Uh, And then mysteriously, the story ends with, yeah, but Jesus just sort of walked through the crowd back down the mountain like they did. They let him go at the last minute. Um, So, so, all right. It's like some kind of mass anger 
happens uh, when they when they say physician heal yourself and and he um, demurs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny now that I'm kind of like just looking over them a little bit and applying, you know, a, a different reading, um, you know, and, and I think that kind of still goes to, you know, that point that, um, you know, these lyrics are so just kind of like impressionistic and there's clearly, you know, there is an authority figure, someone, you know, there's a power dynamic at play. You know, the, the you is someone who, you know, has the ability to exert their power over the I, um, or just general, you know, the public or whatever. Um, you know, and so I, I can definitely see that reading working really well. Even within that, there are things that can be taken multiple ways. Like I think the line, I think no holsters empty for you. That could mean Mm -hmm. like you are constantly armed uh, and you constantly have weapons, but it could also mean that you always assume that everybody else is armed. Oh yeah. I didn't think of it that way. I thought of it as like any holster that you have is going to have a weapon in it. It would be strange to say it that way. None of your holsters are empty. Um, Instead, like if you mean that and say no holsters empty for you, uh, yeah, that's the only yeah. reason I think it might be the latter, but I don't know. It's it's Guy writing um, lyrics <laughs> that are hard to understand. What can you say? Surprise, surprise. <laughs> but they're incredibly, like, you can sit here and dissect it for hours and, you know, and, and have interesting readings. So, like, they may be, you know, vague or, you know, hard to make out, but there's a lot of substance. I, I fear that we have... Uh, come to the point where I'm going to disappoint listeners who came here to to really learn what a song means, and mm. uh, I'm I'm just not going to to give you guys that. I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> I I hope we illuminated some possibilities. It's better than nothing. There we go. That's all I have to offer as well. Uh, interestingly, I think maybe one or two people pointed this out on Facebook group. But did, did you see Red Hot Chili Peppers partially covering this song? Oh boy, I did. <laughs> i don't know what you have thought of it about that (laughs) but uh i will just say i did not feel like it worked no it's it's clearly was like a little bit of a tossed off thing like yeah and what i did appreciate was that like i mean i for some reason i just had to assume that that was like john uh, frishante's idea um just maybe because the video just focused on him the most or whatever. Uh, well, and he sang it, which I didn't know that he sang. Um, but they did like a verse, I think. Right. And, and he sings it. Um, and so I was like, okay, you know, I mean, it's cool as, um, you know, just a, a shout out. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're going to cover a a little bit of a Fugazi song, this is a (laughs) super deep cut to do. Um, so yeah, you know, credit for that to that. Speaking of the Facebook group uh, for the Alphabetical Fugazi, I asked uh, people what they thought about this song. Um, I'd like to read some of those into the record. So Andy Larson says, Such a powerful Guy performance. He's so strong on this whole record, but even so, this track is a standout. Brian Ex Officio says, Their most overlooked, underrated song ever. Addison Pollock says, I have always associated this song with Forensic Scene and Fell Destroyed, the softer and more angular Guy songs on Red Medicine. The guitar interplay during the chorus and outro is such an impressive use of dissonance. Also, one thing that I've always really loved about this one is Guy doing that cool thing with his voice at 1 minute 21 seconds, like he's inhaling and moaning at the same time or something. Yeah, that's pretty much what you were saying, right, Dustin? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly what he's doing, but there's something, something cool happening. R.W. Swanson says, to me, musically, this song is kissing cousins to the doors, not to touch the earth. Perhaps it's a closely closely shared BPM, the driving rhythm, the descending and ascending guitar scale at the chorus. Or maybe I just like both songs a lot. Um, I didn't get a chance to uh, to click and listen to that before recording this. So I'll have to go back and, and do that and listen for myself. Um, but yeah, thanks, R.W. Cole Pepper says something very similar to what I was thinking. He says, uh, took me forever to enjoy the song. First few times I heard it, I didn't like the first half to the point that I skipped the song. Such a good ending, I wish I'd stuck through it earlier on. A bit of a sharp turn off the first two songs on Red Medicine. Definitely appreciate it much more now than I did when I first heard it. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think uh, something we haven't really brought up uh, too much is the sequencing of the record, where, I, like, they are they're following the the 
playbook as far as I'm concerned to a T with like an amazing song, uh, maybe a more amazing song for track two. <laughs> and then for track three, they kind of slow it down. They're like, all right, all right, now we've got you hooked in. Now listen to this interesting number. Um, I, I feel like there are a lot of great records that do exactly that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Here's a nice, long, interesting comment from Bradford Reed Goodwin. Medical revenge porn from the sinister opening guitar screeches which evoke the wheels of a gurney squeaking as a patient is wheeled to surgery to the Dead Kennedys vibe of Guy's vocals and the ticking menace of Brendan's drumming. Hi-hats hiss like steam rising off the needle of a syringe. The script flips from give me the shot to shoot up the dock as the protagonist punishes the medical establishment for luring an entire population into addiction. This song promises to administer the red medicine of the album title to cure the illness hinted at in the preceding track, Bed for the Scraping. So it's tempting to take the statement, I'm a message, I'm a message prescient, literally, and study the medication's efficacy as the album unfolds, ending with a dead body and autopsy in forensic scene. Not to mention that this song predates and predicts the opioid crisis. Also, what other Fugazi lyric can you name that could just as conceivably be delivered by Gollum in Lord of the Rings? Precious, as by Guy Pichotto. <laughs> I can't think of any. Um, wow, Bradford, are you a professional writer? That was uh, super interesting and well-written. Thank you. I think he re- retreaded some of the ground that, that you were talking about, Dustin. And um, famously, Fugazi is no fan of you know drug addiction. And uh, there's certainly precedent for songs about that. Yeah, I uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, it seems that there's a suggestion that maybe this is a bit of a concept album. You know, there's always that thin line between is it a concept album or are are we just in a certain mindset as we right. compose these songs? Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of uncomfortable quasi medical imagery. I would agree that's um, sprinkled here and there in Red Medicine, including the title, which the title of Red Medicine. I could swear that I had read somewhere that Ian's just said something like it's, you know, just refers to the kind of cough syrup he would take as a kid. Uh, yeah, I read that too. Where, where that doesn't really seem that? to explain like no. why, but it just kind of references like where it literally came from. Um, yeah. I saw nothing about, you know, why that was chosen or anything like that. But, you know, I mean, this song and the chorus of the song definitely evokes that for sure and like reminds you of the title as you're listening to it yeah well uh yeah one more eric eddie says for me this represents red medicine era fugazi almost experimental slash minimalist to start then it erupts into a powerful force to close so um yeah powerful indeed uh but how powerful let's talk about that in a segment called ratings where I will ask you, Dustin Courier, uh, if you could give this song a rating on a scale of one to five stars, but only in the context of the rest of the Fugazi catalog. What do you think about Latest Disgrace? Yeah, so um, I definitely, I understand why this is not like an iconic Fugazi song when, you know, like, I think even, you know, when uh, you suggested this one, I had to go back and be like, which one is that again? You know, and right, right. Because the title, you know, the title isn't sung in the song. So it doesn't, you know, evoke, um, you know, the song <laughs> lyrically or anything like that. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, but I knew it was on Red Medicine. I was just like, which one is that again? And um, yeah, you know, so I think that there's, um, you know, we, I mean, we've discussed some of the reasons why it w- is even like an unsettling or unsatisfying listen in some ways. Um, however, I feel like when you zoom out and look at it in the context of the album or even just in the context of between um, it's between Bed for the Scraping and Birthday Pony. I think um, it's just like such a great, it ties those two songs together for me. It really, um, I think I think that without this song and without generally like songs like it on Fugazi records, the records wouldn't be what they are. Um, you know, I think that they can't all be Do You Like Me? Um, and yeah, so I think that while I get why it's not, you know, like one of the more iconic or probably well-known songs. It wasn't well, it wasn't played live that much. Um, but I think that it serves its role really well. 
Um, and I think that there's like so much interesting stuff going on, so many bold choices. Um, yeah, for all of those reasons, I think I'm going to go 3.5. All right. I You said a mouthful. I agree with everything you said. Some great observations. It's It almost suffers by its juxtaposition with Bed for the Scraping, which is probably my favorite Fugazi song. I think I've said before, if I had to choose one. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's a song that is somehow forgettable. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier when I was talking about, like I would always forget what it turns into by the end and the kind of journey that it takes you on. Um, and you're, yeah, it's so true about the title. Also, it's like I, I remember hearing an interview with um, the guy from Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, who <laughs> like they had this huge hit that was called the impression that i get and he was like why the hell didn't i title that song knock on wood like ah. i sh- i should have done that it caused so much confusion that the the thing i'm most famous for in life nobody knows the real title of it or like the eve six guy who's like now famous on twitter for his heart in a blender song oh um yeah what's the name of that song beautiful oblivion you might name? think i think it's inside out which Inside I want to say is name. not even a lyric <laughs> in the song, uh, like "Latest Disgrace." I don't. I don't like Eve Six in general. Never. There's, there's <laughs> Fair enough. That band always really grated on my ears. I don't know. Even in terms of like the the pop radio of that era, I could stand having Matchbox Twenty on, but like Eve Six would come on, I'd just be like, ah, change the channel. <laughs> anyway, this is not about Eve Six. It's about "Latest Disgrace" by Fugazi. I really like it. I don't. Th- feel like it i could rate it any less than a four honestly it's so cool you know maybe maybe i'll get really decimally and i'll say like 4.2 or something like that um it's it's in that range super cool and i i think it's um it being a little bit hard to pin down as a musical piece and and being memorable reflects the lyrics being hard to pin down and it's it's cool in itself in in that way yeah you have to have you have to have songs that are deep cuts and add texture to the album, much the way a chromatic note adds texture between the notes of a scale. And they do it so well. They sure do. So nice big ratings for us. And uh, Dustin, I'd like to ask you um, if you have anything to plug. Where can listeners reach you? Do you have anything, any projects coming to fruition soon? Um. Yeah, actually, uh, well, thanks for asking. And um, I have like oddly a bunch of little things in the works. Generally, um, on social media, I um, we were talking, you know, before the taping that I was kind of transitioning from using a version of my name. I used to go uh, like my music projects would be under the name DH Courier, um, but I wanted to change it to um, more of like a, a band more of a collective thing so i'm calling that light leak um which is and it's all one word but on social media i'm at light leak thing um and then um and yeah so that project i'm currently working on a a full-length record with and um former podcast guest on the birthday pony episode chad clark is uh mixing it and kind of uh co-producing it with me Uh, so that's huge i'm very excited about yeah um, how, how did you get to know Chad Clark? I just tweeted at him one day. Whoa. Like, <laughs> I think he said something along the lines of, um, he was just talking about mixing work or whatever. And I just asked, I just reached out and was like, you know, cause he was kind of, um, you know, on as, as far as, you know, my list of, uh, you know, people who would be awesome to work with, he was very very high up on it if not like at the top of the list for this thing and so i was just like ah, why not you know shoot your shot reach out and um yeah so i was just like hey are you taking on any like remote mixing projects um and he was like sure email me and um yeah so he's into it and we you know decided to go in on making it together so i'm very excited about that and that'll probably hopefully you know see the light of day sometime late this year maybe early next year i'm not sure um but uh but yeah otherwise i um i play in a newish band called ands as in the word and but plural 
and you can find us at at ands the band on all the things including Bandcamp. there's a um it's kind of like a live in the studio ep thing and we just finished uh there's a ep that is currently being mastered that'll be out probably fairly soon um and that will you know be on all the social media stuff and everything and then I think uh, the other project that I'm in that might interest Fugazi fans a bit uh, could be um, a band that I was playing in called Cut Teeth. Um, we did a, a couple records and um, yeah, you know, it's just like kind of loud, riffy, quote unquote, angular rock, post-hardcore, whatever music. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that people who especially might be into the In on the Kill Taker era type stuff um you know might particularly enjoy that rad thanks i'll throw all those things in the show notes so listeners can scroll on down there and click great thanks for being on the show dustin um as for me you know listeners you can throw a couple bucks my way to cover hosting costs if you want link to that is in the show notes you can reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com you can also join the facebook group the alphabetical fugazi and let you know uh let us know what you thought of this episode and your take on these strange lyrics. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing Latin roots. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last